Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Ready? Yep. Let's go. Let's laugh. We are imperfect after all. Okay. (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Imperfect Us podcast. I'm Leanne Camilleri. And I'm Lisa Downs. As co-hosts of the Imperfect Us podcast, we will share relatable stories that celebrate that we are perfectly imperfect humans leading perfectly imperfect lives. We will be sharing these stories through open and honest conversations with our extraordinary guests. And together we'll discover practical and evidence-based strategies that will enable us to navigate the constant challenges and changes of everyday life. We are thrilled to share these conversations as we draw on the science of wellbeing and positive psychology, and we uncover the barriers that might hold us back from being our authentic selves and turn them into opportunities so that we can show up more consistently doing what we really aspire to do and who we want to be. We'd like to acknowledge the Wadarung and Ghana people who are the traditional custodians of the beautiful lands on which this podcast is being recorded. We pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging and extend this respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples from other communities who are here with us today. So let's get started. Yay. And recording. In today's episode, we are thrilled to be speaking to Professor Craig Hassad from Monash University. In 2019, Craig was awarded the Medal of the Order of Australia for Services in Medicine. Craig teaches a number of other faculties, is coordinator of mindfulness programs across Monash, and is the founding director of education at the Monash Centre for Consciousness and Contemplative Studies. Craig's teachings, research and clinical interests include mindfulness, mind-body medicine, lifestyle medicine, integrative medicine and medical ethics. Regularly invited to present in Australia and overseas, he has authored over 100 papers in peer-reviewed journals and has published 14 books and 16 book chapters. Craig was the founding president and patron of Meditation Australia, is a Smiling Mind ambassador and commentator featuring in the documentaries The Connection and My Year of Living Mindfully. He has co-authored two free mindfulness courses in collaboration with Monash University and FutureLearn, both of which are rated by Class Central as the two leading online mindfulness courses globally and among the top 10 online courses for any subject in the world. Everyone, please welcome Craig Hassad. Craig, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so uh, privileged to to be talking to you today and we'd love to hear about what led you to to the work that you're doing now. Look, I'd have to say for myself, it was a bit of a, um, I suppose, an intuitive thing and a kind of a self-discovery thing. I I discovered what I would now call mindfulness um, intuitively in my teenage years when I realised that when my mind wandered into what ifs and maybes about the future, all of a sudden started feeling anxious and, you know, worried and the body reacted. And and I had a few moments of actually just being awake and and noticing that and realising, wait a sec, my mind is creating dramas and sagas and worries (laughs) out of thin air. And present moment reality could be a very nice environment, and yet I'm I'm generating my own stress. And um, so I started to notice that, and I realised that I had to stay present. And from student point of view and leading up to exams in year 11 and 12, 
Just stay with what's in front of you because if your mind wanders off, you get into a very bad place, just stay present, focus, moment by moment. And I used to um, practice cultivating a really, I suppose, calm and attentive state of mind to take into the exam room because I realised that was far and away the best state of mind to take in to function well and also to feel okay. So I, I practised what I would now call mindfulness intuitively because I realised that 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 was the state of mind to cultivate. And so I guess there are other, other things, but for me it was that direct experience in studying medicine and noticing that interaction between my mind and the body mm-hmm. Um I became very interested in mind-body medicine and what's now called mindfulness and and very much wanted to dedicate my career to that because I thought it was far, far more important than just writing lots of scripts for patients that that, uh, they may or may not need in the first place and ignoring the underlying issues Mm -hmm. that were going on uh, from a a mental point of view. Mm. And mindfulness is such a wonderful prescription, isn't it? When you think about the um, the challenges that young people experience, especially in today's day and age and the current circumstances we find ourselves in, the mind is so, 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 so busy. Life is so, so busy. And, and, and to, to, um, to do that intuitively, um, you, you know, not everyone um, is able to do that. So, you know, that, that's, a, that's a great personal skill to have and to draw on. I think, I think the world was a simpler place and it was easier, you know, when I was young than it is now, there are so many more things to distract kids mm. and to make them worry about things, <clears throat> social media, their addiction to the technology and so on that, that are just adding whole layers of complexity to kids' mental health and kids' distractibility. Mm. And also the pace of life, the the overload, Mm. the the mental overload, the fear of missing out and all this sort of stuff. The kids have just taken on holus bolus thinking that's the way you've got to be in the world and so on. And so being a young person growing up, I think it's a lot more difficult now than it was just decades ago when I was young. We notice that at schools as well. I work in um, education and we've got, um, in, mainly in the primary school, but in a K to 12 school, we've noticed such a shift in the last five to eight years and it's just getting worse and worse, I suppose, in a way with their attention. So we're actually doing a lot of mindfulness in the classroom and really embedding it into every fabric throughout the, throughout the day, even when they're reflecting just on what they've been learning. But what I think um, stood out for us is when we were, and it was one of um, a quote in your book actually, is to make sure that you're, or to ensure you're absolutely doing this, bring your mind in as well as your body into the classroom or into whatever it is that you're doing. And that has made a really big shift for the kids because they go, oh, so it's not just your whole body, it's what you're thinking and feeling as well. I'm like, oh, yes. So that was really, really clever. I think that will start to make some changes. Yes, because the kids can get into the classroom, but their mind's still out in the playground or their mind's at home or the mind's on the weekend. And um, and kids, 
And unless we have things drawn to our attention, it's, it's easy not to notice that we're distracted. It's easy not even to realise what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think part of bringing it into the classroom is both the positive skills of, of teaching and reinforcing mindfulness, but mm-hmm. also to deal with the distracting environment mm-hmm. for the classroom, the school, at home, to get some really clear guidelines mm-hmm. on the reasonable management of technology and distraction and getting some kind of limits on that mm-hmm. so that um, because if it's not uh, then it's sort of like trying to teach mindfulness is like trying to swim upstream it's a, it's a lot, lot harder. Absolutely and we do notice that that there are times when people think they have to teach mindfulness and, and then they're racing around with all these other jobs and you go well you're not really sharing that practice very well because the message you're saying to the kids is, yeah, this is important. However, I've got a couple of other things to do at the same time, so therefore it's not. <laughs> That's what the teacher is teaching in that situation is distraction. Yes. I'm not to pay attention and um, and maybe even with the best will in the world, but um, if it, it's more important than what comes out of the mouth is what's modelled by the teacher. And if the teachers are modelling distraction and complex multitasking and so on, the kids will pick that up and they'll uh, learn that lesson very, very quickly, a lot mm. quicker than they'll learn maths lessons and so on, but uh, <laughs> they'll yeah. learn it very quickly. <laughs> Craig, was your focus, um, you know, when you first started out, was your focus mainly in the education space? or? Well, <clears throat> I, um, I went into medicine um, as an 18 year old, because I was interested in the mind, you know, with my own experience, intuitive experience, a few moments of being aware in my teenage years, that's where I wanted to go. And I, I thought I'd do medicine, not because I wanted to do medicine, because that was the last thing in the world I wanted to do. But mm. I thought, oh, well, look, I'll do psychiatry. Mm. And that meant I had to go through medicine in the first place, because psychiatrists were meant to be interested in the mind. Mm. Unfortunately, um, I mean, a lot of psychiatrists are interested in the mind, but more often than not, psychiatry wasn't about the mind, it was about drugs. And I got a little bit disappointed halfway through my medical course thinking, well, I'm not going, that's not what I'm interested in. Mm. And also I wasn't interested in the, the very tip of the iceberg in terms of very extreme mental health problems that psychiatrists are so well trained to deal with and, and, and their work so important. But I was interested in and the rest of the iceberg, that is the whole of humanity, <laughs> dealing with the kinds of challenges and, and, uh, and so on in terms of everyday stress and anxiety and, mm-hmm. and coping and, and all of that kind of thing. That's what I was mainly interested in. So, mm-hmm. so I kind of internally navigated my way that way and then through general practice to counselling. <clears throat> and then I've been working in general practice for a couple of years and and um, uh, and in hospitals, and it, the path of my career wasn't really um, resolved. Like we were like, and it's the only time in my life I've ever opened up the job section of a newspaper. But I was I was at home, hadn't you know chosen what I would do the next year or whatever, and I just sort of thought I'm just going to have an open mind, and I'm just going to cast my attention on the job section of the paper. And I'm just going to see what presents itself. So I, I just have a look and, um, oh, yes, yes. Uh, and I see this job um, in the Department of General Practice at Monash University, so medical education. And uh, and, the, and I can remember the thought stream. It was like, you know, ah, oh, you know, academic, last thing in the world I'd ever <laughs> want to do. 
all the things I wasn't taught at medical school I should have been taught, you know, about <laughs> meditation and the mind and, you know, how to prevent illness rather than to try and treat it. All the things I wasn't taught that I should have been taught. Oh, somebody should do something about that. And then this thought goes, bang, we'll do something about it. <laughs> All of a sudden, what? Apply for this job. Got to be joking. <laughs> so, but I kind of, it was another moment of being aware. And I, so I thought, oh, well, that's interesting. I'll, something I thought I'd never do. But, and um, so I applied for the job. And so I got involved in medical education. Mm. And then to try and find a way to bring these kinds of things into the training of doctors, which we did in the early 90s. It really, I, I took up the job in the late 80s and by the early 90s, it was a part of curriculum and then started to work with other faculties who are interested in bringing this in because it was really helping our medical students and then interest from outside. So schools and various places were saying, you know, we'd need those skills as well. So it just kind of grew organically from there. And I've never had, I guess, a vision, but never a fixed plan about how all of this work would unfold. It's just like seeing where it takes me. And uh, it's been quite an interesting journey. <laughs> it has. It, it is very interesting. <laughs> and I also um, noticed that you know, Harvard University picked it up as well as some of the international things. So it has spread, you know, your um, leap of faith, I suppose, to begin with about having a go has really flourished across the globe now. Yes, it was interesting um, um, when I did a leadership in academic medicine course, it was being run by Harvard out here mm. in Australia. I was invited by Monash to attend that, which I did. And, and so, um, and uh, it was run by Harvard and, and said, oh, I'll be over in Boston you know, um, early next year. And they said, oh, come to Boston. Oh, interesting, all the things you're talking about. Look, you should come and speak at, um, at uh, Harvard Medical School. Oh, okay. <laughs> so um, spoke to faculty and, and students there and um, about what we're doing at Monash. And, and again, this is back in the mid-90s or, or no, sorry, probably about the late 90s by then. Um, but anyway, there was a, a lot of interest and... Um, and so the kind of program running for our students in the early 2000s, they started running that as an elective for their students. Um, so, and um, yeah, so it was, uh, it's interesting how things, um, how things happen. Certainly when, when uh, Harvard started using the sort of things we were doing at Monash, I can assure you it, it sort of drew the attention of quite a few people in the faculty at Monash as well saying, oh, maybe we should take this more seriously. Yes. <laughs> How validating for your work too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're, they're delightful people at Harvard that um, I cross paths with and just very open minds. And, and there were people doing this sort of work there, but it was, a, you know, like taking mindfulness to, to Boston was like taking, you know, cold to Newcastle kind of thing. Um, but I guess being from outside of that sort of bubble it, it mm -hmm. in some ways made it a bit easier than um, some of the sort of very noted people that were in in the neighborhood but not necessarily working in the medical faculty in the same kind of way that I was and thank goodness that you did it because you know it has really rippled through but I'm just wondering and has I was wondering at the whole way through you were talking was there ever a moment that you had a self a self doubt in any of that, or any critic saying to you, maybe you're not capable of doing this, or I don't um, know. 
look, um, I suppose when I, you know, I said, oh, the last thing I want to do is medicine or the last thing I want to do is work in academia, you know, um, and, uh, and so on, that that's, that's a kind of voice, but there's a sort of a deeper in a calling I think we all have there's a kind of a quieter deeper voice if I could yeah. put it in that way and then there's this noisy clutter of oh no I don't want to do this and I don't know what about that and, and um but I've tried when I've recognized that sort of deeper quieter in a calling I've tried mm-hmm. to follow that yeah um because it's always um steered me far better than the noisy sort of self-doubt self-criticism in saying that, it's not like, oh, well, I never have self-doubt and self-criticism, but I've found that that kind of internal dialogue that can be running in our heads um, is not the most useful or interesting thing to be listening to. I mean, if you had a, if you had a radio station called um, uh, Inner Critic, you know, you know, would you would you turn on to that station? I mean, would you spend your whole day listening to it? Yeah, and yet we kind of got this, we dial in to this sort of, you know, in a critic station or self-doubt station in our own heads. And we, we spend all our day listening to that unconsciously and habitually. And when we have a conscious moment, we're like, why am I doing that? <laughs> and you see, it undermines mm. our, our natural ability. Uh, it undermines our confidence. It undermines um, our passion, our enthusiasm, our creativity. So... You know, I've, I've tried to practice not listening to it because, and when you follow the things you're passionate about, you're interested in, your things you feel called to do, and mostly those things as well, um, if they're not, it's, it's like a sense of service, you know, you kind of get called to do something that might be useful for people. And when this other stuff comes in, it's very ego-driven. It can be recognised by the kind of sound that it has. It's me focused. What about me? And and all of these kind of negative self-talk, it's got a very me focus. Whereas these moments of insight, of inspiration, of calling and so on, are actually quite impartial. They're Mm. quite kind of deep, they're kind of quiet. Um, And uh, so I suppose I'm speaking from my experience, but um, when I recognize it, I follow that deeper inner calling or that deeper moment of insight and um, the other stuff starts up, that's fine, just not interested. Mm. Give your attention to what's in front of you and you'll find that you have what you need to take you there. That's funny. Like we've, trust. <laughs> oh, definitely. I was going to say, Leanne, we have, this is probably part of why we started this podcast is the both of us have finished our uh, Masters of Applied Positive Psych and we so we were playing in a lot of, that sort of world and then noticing things about ourselves and what we've come we were talking about our inner critic and inner coach or out you know the coach that was going to help us and I really love what you say about quietening or getting that quieter deeper voice because we were saying we have that that says you can't do it but we're really practicing mindfulness for ourselves about hang on are we listening to this one? Are we unsafe? We're actually not unsafe. So thank you. Is there some truth in that, that we can, you know, adapt something that needs to be, you know, we need to improve something perhaps, but then listening to the other voice. And we've just found it so much more enriching and wanted to share how others are doing it because often people think it's they're themselves, by themselves, and they, 
hopeless or they can't do something and they think they're the only people like that but in actual fact it's <laughs> most of us yeah. um, and those people who say no I don't have the imposter syndrome you go oh maybe you do maybe you do a bit of thinking about who you are <laughs> I have a feeling that inner critic um, FM is on uh, quietly in the background for a lot of people <laughs> I know it is for myself and I think you know it, it's really interesting as you sort of explore these things and 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 and, and you know just you know, practicing um, living in a mindful way. How how much uh, you can become aware of that self talk. And you know, Craig, you're you're well practiced. You know, from a very young age. You know, you 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 had a deep um, self self awareness. And and I guess that I, I really connected to what you were saying. I I, I, I that inner voice or that um, that noise or, yeah, or, <laughs> the, the knowing that deeper knowing. Mm. Um, uh, I, I I connected to that in in you know if we are if it does become a, about ourselves like oh you know am I saying the right things or oh I feel a bit embarrassed or you know you know whatever it might be I, I can see how the 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 channel can change very easily um, but then if you move your focus back to you know. Uh, this the, the the point of service that that you made um you you're driven differently aren't you mm. yeah and from a mindfulness point of view it's just pay attention moment a moment to what's in front of you <clears throat> you know like one of the one of the big fears in life i had um um is public speaking and so you know i said i oh, taking up that <clears throat> job at monash where you as a lecturer like why would you want to do that? You know, I mean, full-on fear, panic. You know, it's like, the, why are you, you know, why would you want to do that, <laughs> take on a job like that? And it was like, again, that kind of calling. And, mm -hmm. and just consider at a moment like that, all of a sudden you, you feel called to do something. Mm -hmm. And then what arises in response is some kind of fear, judgments of yourself, what you can, you can't do. And there's a kind of choice that for me it presented as a choice do I dedicate my life to my calling or do I dedicate my life to my fears mm -hmm. and it was it was that stark and it's not like oh yeah no I want to dedicate my life to my fears <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah that's what I love you know and I'm a tombstone at the end of my life he was dedicated to his fears <laughs> ever faithful to and like this stuff, I mean, when I'm teaching mindfulness and people talk about their fears and panic mm. and all this kind of stuff, it's like, it's not like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you, you've got a problem I don't have. It's like, I know what you're talking about. Mm. And But the thing is, in, in teaching it, once you kind of find a way to navigate through and work with your own stuff mm. and see what works and what doesn't work and so on, then you kind of, in some sense, like helping to guide people through the same terrain because you've been through it and you've come back and you're helping somebody through it. And um, so, for example, being mindful, you know, you've got a giving a lecture or speaking, you know, I can remember one time speaking, at, giving a keynote at the first conference I'd ever given a keynote at. And um, it was all about stress and everything else. And, and I can remember washing the dishes the night before the conference and I was feeling nervous and the heart was going a bit and, you know, and I was washing the glasses. And as I was washing the glasses, <clears throat> I was thinking to myself, oh, I hope I'm in the present moment tomorrow. Oh. <laughs> and I don't know if you get the irony. Yes. I had a moment of waking up and seeing what was happening. 
Mm. And I kind of thought, well, wait a sec, I want to be in the present moment tomorrow. Well, I'm not going to find out till tomorrow. <laughs> but I know I'm not in the present moment now. And you need to do the glass. <laughs> if, if I want to have a chance of being in the present moment tomorrow when it seems to count, then practice paying attention to the present moment. Mm. And that meant feel the glass in the hand, the dish mop, the water, the sound of the suds just popping. And, and as I engage my attention with that, not only did the dishes start getting washed a whole lot better, but I noticed that that whole stress response switched itself off. Mm. And it wasn't based on an internal dialogue I was trying to have with myself. I can do it. I will be all right. It'll go well. Everybody will love it. It was just based on being present. Mm. And that means driving to the event. Just pay attention to the driving. Get out, out of the car. Just pay attention to the walking. I mean, you've done the preparation you need to do, but just feel the body walking because the mind, as soon as it's allowed to, will run off to catastrophize and panic and worry and negative self-talk and what if and maybe. So just bring it back, just bring it back gently, not with harshness, what's no wrong with me. It's just like very gently, the attention back in the moment, life's no more complicated than just walking now, feel the breeze. And then paradoxically, when you get to the moment of actually speaking, the mind's in a calmer, more attentive state to then engage with what happens next. And I've, mm. and it's not to do with having an internal dialogue about good, bad, can, can't, mm. or anything like that. It's just about being in the moment and giving your attention to the moment based on its merits without all the internal palaver added to it. Mm. Oh, Craig, you describe washing dishes in such a way that it's such a pleasure. <laughs> It's a lifesaver. <laughs> I also found even when you were explaining it, I was getting calmer and more relaxed by the yeah. way you were speaking. Mm. I know that's crazy. but And, you know, here's an imposter moment for me because uh, I, I feel like I, I'm going to say, um, Craig, behind my, behind my hands, I, I, I teach mindfulness. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and one of the things that, that, um, that I've found is uh, I remember uh, one um, participant in particular, um, the you, you know it's it's an introduction to to mindfulness and 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 you know just teaching them you know about managing their emotions and 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 their thoughts and all that sort of thing and and this gentleman, uh, you know he he experienced a moment of road rage um, and and he shared. It, it was so wonderful to hear him talk about how, you know, through this just, you know, understanding um, his thoughts and emotions and sort of tapping and being present changed what, you know, usually he would be yelling at someone and probably jumping out the car and having a bit of a go where he he actually just, you know, took a moment to be, you know, was present and actually thought about the person that cut him off and, you know, maybe maybe they're rushing to the hospital or something like that. Mm -hmm. oh, it, it's, it's um, you know that, that being present changes so much about the reality that we experience, doesn't it? Yes, and it's interesting what we even call a reality. So, and from a mindfulness perspective, it's like just a change in the reference point. Mm -hmm. And this is always a really, I think, an important sign when people are really getting it mm -hmm. that they describe moments of road rage or getting angry with the kids, or something else happening. But all of a sudden, they describe it in a different way. One moment, 
kind of lost in it, fighting with it, wrestling, trying to control. And when mindfulness is really starting to soak in, all of a sudden they describe it as an observer mm. of the reaction, mm. an observer of the emotion. And even, even if the, the usual behaviour is happening and, uh, <laughs> you know, parents saying, and I just, I just saw myself, you know, my, <laughs> you know, my arms are waving around. I just how ridiculous. I, just, I was just looking at myself reacting like this mm. and that reference point changing. It's like, <clears throat> it's like when you're lost in a movie and you're so consumed by a horror film or something like that. And, and somebody sitting next to you just taps you on the back of the hand and says, it's just a movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. And all of a sudden you're standing back and you're in the audience again, mm. not lost in the middle of the drama, but you're, all of a sudden you're the audience again watching it. So what is there still there? If we call that the reality of it. But the reality of the reference point has changed. There's a game changer. I love that. And that, that sort of reference point changing, that no longer caught up in or attached to what's happening, but the impartial, non-judgmental observer of it, all of a sudden opens up a window of opportunity to choose. Mm-hmm. For example, not to necessarily go and do the usual behaviour or to stop waving the arms around and getting all angry with the kids or to just change the tone of voice mm-hmm. or to just not act on that impulse. So all of a sudden there's that window of opportunity that opens for mm-hmm. a conscious, rational, sane mm-hmm. response. Mm-hmm. I often say to people, you know, when they give examples like that, I say, you're in serious danger of becoming sane. You know, it's like, I hope to be sane one day. I've got uh, aspirations to be sane one day, but it's a work in progress. But um, the awareness can change everything. And it's interesting in those moments, there's not, there's, you know, the, the activity of the mind's just under observation, mm-hmm. judgments, the reactions, the behavior. Mm-hmm. And but that stepping back changes everything. Yeah. Um, That's what we've been really excited about is having those thoughts and talking to each other about it. Mm-hmm. And so that we're making each other aware of different things. And then we're going, oh, I actually am feeling that as well, or I've noticed that about myself. And I think it, hence why we're wanting to do this podcast to share that with others, because we hope that this will reach more people to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Such it's a good just- strategy. It's quite an interesting thing when running a group and somebody's describing an example of perhaps an unmindful moment, you know, and we all have them, you know, so an unmindful moment, you know, and there could be all of this self-doubt or whatever it is that's running. Mm. It's very interesting because you kind of recognise what somebody's talking about and sometimes just voicing the kinds of thoughts oh, I'll never cope with this, and what's everybody going to say, and if it doesn't go well, then oh, no. And you, and you voice these kinds of thoughts, and people look and say, yeah, yeah, are you reading my mind? And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of, you sort of recognise it, but all of a sudden it just places it mm. out there for the person to look at. Mm. And then the person starts to observe their own minds, their mm. own thoughts, mm. but from a different perspective. And and then that starts to really change things. And um and all of the other things, cognitive reframing and everything else, um, they can all be useful. Mm-hmm. But if you've got that ability to observe from an impartial, mm-hmm. non-attached kind of position, then it makes all of that a whole lot easier. Yeah. And it helps you to probably make the right choice as to what to do for you at that time too and gives you the time 
to have that choice to really mull it over a little bit further and make a wise choice. And yeah. relief, I would imagine, too. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, oh, so <laughs> it, it's it, the conversation is just... Um, you know, I guess so so rich with um, you know, these aha moments that sort of come up. Um Craig, as Lisa mentioned, um, you know, our, our background is in um positive psychology and, and there are close ties um between positive psychology and, and mindfulness that that help us to get a better understanding of ourselves and others. Um, can you help us to understand how mindfulness helps us to uh, tame that that you know in a critic yes from a mindfulness perspective it's it's not necessarily so much about arguing with it or trying mm. to convince it otherwise or putting up the case for the defense you know when our minds you know judged and sentenced us to a life of negativity or something it's <laughs> so it's not it's not the sort of so much an internal mm. debate uh, sometimes people use a term like non-elaborative there's no need to elaborate on all the thoughts. It's just a simple observing of them, that change of reference point as the simple observer of those thoughts. And that gives a little bit of level of freedom from them. Mm. The real choice from a mindfulness perspective is to what to give the attention to or not to give the attention to. Because occasionally we do have useful thoughts. Not very often, but I often say a little bit tongue-in-cheek about every 10 or 15 years we have a useful thought and it's really <laughs> nice to be there when it happens, you know, and that is it's a, it's a thought worth giving attention to. Mm. It's like a train to get on because it's going where you need to go. Um, but the vast majority of thoughts that go through the mind are either just a waste of time and some of them are downright noxious. Mm. So mindfulness just opens up the possibility to choose which thoughts to give attention to and which ones not. Mm. And if we learn to recognise the sound of, the tenor of, the effect of, the feeling of, that kind of unhelpful, repetitive, self-critical kind of stuff we've got going on in our mind so much of the time, we don't need to argue with it, not from a mindfulness perspective or convince it otherwise. We just don't have to get interested in it. Mm. We can just leave it alone. What do we give our attention to anyway um, as a, you know, well, we just give our attention to whatever needs it in that moment. And if we're walking to that public speaking event, or if you're walking towards that meeting or towards that interview and your mind wants to do a little imposter thing on you and all that sort of stuff, well, that's fine. It's totally fine that those thoughts are there. It's just like traffic noise in the background. It's just like the sound of something else. But you just can just give your attention to something else. And that is come back, come to your senses, <laughs> literally, come to your senses. What that means is the feeling of the body, the sounds in the environment, instead of listening to the internal dialogue, just come back mm. to hear the sounds around you, to, if you're eating something, taste the food, mm. you know. So it's just the senses will ground our attention back in the present moment. Mm. And if we do that again and again and again and again, then it gets easier and easier to do that. Um, so, but we have to be patient and, and, and when we're practicing paying attention, it really implies that we're doing it with a kind of a gentleness, a kind of a non-judgmentality about it. Mine goes off. That's fine. Bring it back. Mm -hmm. Mine, you know, creates some sort of 
storm in our own head, that's totally fine. Just gently bring the attention back. So we can do it gently with a little bit of self-kindness, with a non-judgmental attitude, and even just being curious. Because if we start to be more mindful, we just get, isn't that interesting how often the mm. mind goes to that? Yeah. Isn't that interesting how often the mind, that's like a well-worn rut in the mind. Isn't that interesting? I never noticed that habit that the mind has so much and so we do start to notice things more mm. we have to notice them in a kind of a gentle way if we're working mindfully mm. makes me think of um uh, and i'm not going to get this right um uh, is it lunic uh, lunic um a um i think he's a poet and he the poet goes uh, something along the lines of you know I I um I I sat on the on the fence with myself and um oh, I can't remember exactly how it goes now. Yeah, um, he holds his own hand. That's it. That's <laughs> it. I, I really I remember thinking a oh, lot like, learning about actually it was at the um the Meditation Australia conference actually and one of the presenters um shared that and I, I it just made so, so much sense that you know we we really are our own best friend or enemy, aren't we? Mm. Oh, yes, yes. And um, uh, and so this sort of sense of self-kindness, it's sort of sense of self-compassion. Mm. Um, and we, we would want, you know, if we're with a friend who's suffering or in some difficulty, we would naturally have a sense of kindness or compassion uh, towards them. And yet we often forget to show the same to ourselves. You know, we bring, you know, sort of... Um, you know, <laughs> a club to ourselves yeah. and, and oftentimes beating ourselves up for the most insignificant issues. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the thing is, we, we do make mistakes. Mm. Um, I'm not even sure what a mistake is. I think it's just we, we act and, and maybe something doesn't turn out the way that we wanted to or expected to. Mm. There's always something to learn mm. from yeah. a mindfulness perspective. Turn towards it. Look at it notice it just impartially to see what happened and and there'll often be a, a kind of a lesson something to learn from that good well that's been a very useful experience wasn't comfortable wasn't easy but i've learned something really valuable yeah. i'm better off for it than i was before <laughs> but now move on don't yeah. relive it a thousand times <laughs> the difference between reflecting on a past experience because when we're doing that, we're doing it grounded in the present moment. It's very different to ruminating or reliving that past experience. Mm -hmm. And we'll know which is which because when we're reliving and ruminating, we're activating the same emotions and same physiological effects uh, that uh, often with embellishments that happen mm -hmm. when we got really stressed over that event. When we're doing it mindfully, it's kind of very impartial sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Impartial, not in the sense of cold, because there's a kind of, compassion there but there's a kind of impartiality here now reflecting on a past experience here now planning and preparing for a future event which is different to worrying about a future event yeah and worry gets so much attention in in our own heads it gets so much attention because it does impersonations worry impersonates things it pretends to be planning and preparation when it's actually just worry pretending to be useful Mm. And because we, you know, it's kind of, oh yeah, but what about this? Oh, and if I thought about that, oh, and this, and well, let's go. Well, and what if it doesn't? Oh no, no, maybe. And it's actually just worry pretending to be useful. Because when people are actually really in the present moment, planning and preparing, they're feeling productive, mm. they're getting stuff done, you know, and and they're using their time well. 
but that doesn't happen with worry when it's doing impersonations of things like planning and preparation mm. or rumination, pretending to be working myself out. <laughs> you know, it's actually rumination. Mm. But I'm like, oh, what's wrong with me? Why am I like this? You know, why is it? And, and we'll know by the negativity, the weight on our shoulders, that we're actually ruminating, learning mm. or understanding ourselves better because that only comes through that sort of impartial objective, mm. not dressing it up, not criticising, just looking impartially mm. at what, what happened, our reaction, our behaviour, what happened, learn mm. from something from it. But, that's, um, but this rumination, this default mental activity gets mm. way too much attention. Yeah, it's such a barrier, isn't it, And to any action forward where when, when we're present, we're actually having more opportunities for growth and for more learning. Mm. Every moment. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just so connect. It was like a penny drop moment for me when, when you uh, talked about worry, pretending to be useful. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really like that. Go, yeah, I know. <laughs> no, I just really like that. It's That just makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> I was um, having a conversation with Matthew Ricard recently, who's um one of the most remarkable people on the planet, I think. Um, mm. It was a great honour to have a conversation with him. But he was talking about, you know, if you're in a, a marketplace and there's a pickpocket there, um, you know, and, and these kinds of internal, you know, negativity and so on, these sorts of things are like pickpockets. Mm -hmm. And um, but the thing is, you know, if you can't recognise the pickpocket, uh, then picks your pocket and you don't even know you've been robbed. <laughs> but as so soon as funny. you as soon as you see it, as soon as you recognise the pickpocket, mm -hmm. then um, you're safer. And in a kind of a way, we have to learn to recognise mm -hmm. these things because um, we have to learn to see them and to recognise them. And if we pick up those sort of hallmarks of what worry feels like and what rumination feels mm -hmm. like, we start to become more mindful, oh, that's what that feels like. Oh, that was the effect of that. Oh, that's the effect it had on my behaviour. So people start to recognise it better. And then they can make their own choice about, do I really want to keep giving my attention to that? Do I want to go down that path? No, don't need to do that. And um, that's the kind of game changer that comes with awareness. Mm. I think goodness we have that um, as a tool. It's, mm. I, I've noticed a big um, change in myself, and I know Leanne and I have been talking a lot about it, and it really does help. Um, and I think the more we're practicing it, the more we're realizing and being aware of who we are and who we're becoming. And the choices are so much easier for us. And I can pick up mine straight away now and I just go, where did that come from? And then go, well, actually, no, it's not. It's just such a beautiful thing. And I was explaining, we spoke to Michelle McQuaid the other day and I was explaining to her how I felt, which I'm trying to, I think that's what you're saying, and please um, share if I'm wrong, that reference point. I just said to her, I felt like I was outside my body, higher up, just looking at what I was doing. Is that what you, how, how you, um, is that referencing point, changing yeah. that reference point? The sort of the sense of the observer yeah. of what's happening. Yeah. Like being the audience of the, the play or the audience um, of the movie because mm. when we're sort of lost by it all the stuff the light the sound everything's mm. happening but we feel consumed by it mm. caught up in it identified by it and all the emotions mm. that come with that and 
the reference, what's there is there, but the reference point changes. There we go back, yeah. You're the observer of it. And when people sort of describe in these kinds of moments that all of a sudden, oh, I was just kind of observing myself. And I think what's meant by myself is the usual behaviour, the habitual pattern of thinking, mm -hmm. just observing the reaction. And when it's got that impartial observing kind of attitude to it, you know things are changing and the person it's not and you see the the sort of the idea well how should I be in this moment doesn't come from somewhere else it's not like oh I should be like this or somebody says I should act like that the person themselves makes a conscious decision in that moment for themselves how they want to or how they need to be yeah and um uh, yes, yeah, so it opens up a whole new array of possibilities, but it's like the person almost feels like I was just watching myself. I was just mm. observing myself. That's exactly how I felt. And it was such a weird thing, but I, I was also really grateful for it because I went, oh, I am changing. And, and it was, <laughs> and I was really proud of myself because I, I thought, oh, you know, back then when the imposter was very strong, I didn't think I could. And I knew all of the science and I've read about it and I looked at, did all these activities and I thought, am I getting closer and closer? And when this happened, I was like, oh, I'm finally, even though I've still got a long way to go, I can actually know that what I'm practising is making a difference. Yes. And you mm. see, if people, you know, the cornerstone of developing this ability is the mindfulness meditation. Mm. Yeah. But mindfulness is not just meditation. It's mm. what we take into our day-to-day -day life. Yes. You know, these moments when it's all happening, acting with awareness as opposed to habitual condition pattern yep. kind of thinking etc and and people will often say oh i'm not getting far with my mindfulness because you know the meditation the mind goes off come back get irritated practice acceptance you know get very judgmental practice self-compassion you know mind goes off again come back and the person thinks i'm not getting anywhere i'm not getting it i should be in a bubble of bliss i should you know a shaft of light coming from the heavens you know it's and i'm not getting that it's like no 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 great you're practicing the practice and um, but tell me about your life. Tell me about. And when a person says, "Oh, the other day there I was. I was in the operating theatre. Normally, if I get the wrong instrument when I ask for something, and I get given the wrong instrument, I get angry and I slap it down. And you know, and all of a sudden it's very tense everywhere. And um, and the other day." Uh, operating theatre and I got given the wrong instrument and I just look oh no I'll need the such and such and just placed it down gently and but I noticed the usual reaction but I just didn't need to go there I just didn't need to do that just placed it down and and um and the person says that was very unlike me <laughs> and and what they're talking about is me, is this bundle of habits and conditioned thoughts. And, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden there's this conscious choice in the moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when somebody says something like that, it's working. Yeah. Regardless, and I'm giving an example of somebody yeah. because they were describing how they weren't getting far with the meditation. They were doing it regularly but didn't feel like they're successful. But I said, tell me about your life. And when they just start to describe things like that, you're getting it. It's yeah. working. It's operating. <laughs> oh, that's so good. I love that example. That's, that is fantastic. And I think, you know, when when people do, um, you know, start to, um, I guess, bring mindfulness into their lives, sometimes you can feel like, you, you know, it, it's not working. I'm doing this. But, you know, 
it's not it's not working or um you know i i can't do it. it you know every time i notice that that my mind's getting busy it's you know it's happening all the time and i i say that's good that's good that you're noticing it because that that there in in that is is the mindfulness but but i think um you know when you're starting to to learn it can be um I don't know if confronting is the right word, but just interesting to see how busy our minds can be. Yeah. People often misinterpret progress as an inability to do it. Mm-hmm. If a person comes back on, you know, second week of a course, third week of a course, for example, and says, my mind's all over the shop, you know, and, and like more than I'd noticed before, the person's thinking, Oh, mindfulness is not working. No, it's working. You're noticing <laughs> what you weren't noticing before. Mm. But it's not necessarily a comfortable thing to notice. Yes. Mm. And um, so that's where the, the guidance of the gentleness with which a person notices, they're not judging it and, you know, really reinforcing because the awareness comes before the attitude shift comes. Mm. The awareness, the attention before that, accepting non-judgmental attitude sort of goes deep and so there's often this sort of uncomfortable period early on of irritation and frustration Mm -hmm. um, when the noticing is a sign that it's operating Uh, it's a sign that the person's seeing more of what they weren't noticing before Mm -hmm. noticing more of the effects of their behavior and reactions etc and it's not always nice but if the person can see it in a kind of a curious, non-judgmental way, and it makes it easier for that awareness to grow. I remember when I first um, did a mindfulness meditation in a group, and it was the, like the very first one that I had, had done, and I remember that beautiful woman, she was sort of saying, just be mindful, be gentle, be non-judgmental, and it was the very, very first time that I'd actually been no- noticing my thoughts I was horrified how many there were. Like I literally, because I didn't, I wasn't aware of them at all. I knew they were there, but I didn't know how many. And then eventually she said, it was so beautiful. She said, just let them go like clouds in the sky. Just look at them. And I, honestly, if I had have painted a picture of the first time, I would have had a lot of clouds in the sky. Mm. But eventually throughout that first session, they just floated by and they dropped off and I could see more blue sky. And I just remember thinking, what a beautiful way to do that. But if you're not ready for it, it could be quite scary. I mean, I had a giggle because I, I just thought maybe my mind had way more than anybody else's. <laughs> it's just Probably not. <laughs> no, I know. But at the time, it was all about me. So it was all about what am I doing? And then I thought, far out, there's so many things coming in and out. I've got to put washing out. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to find mum. I've got to, how is mum? You know, like just this consistent amount of mm. clouds. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, it can be exhausting to notice all of this stuff. And, and we don't realise that this is kind of going on in the background mm. pretty much all the time. We wonder why am I tired and why am I stressed and why am I irritable and so on. And, and it's like going into a dark room. Well, mindfulness is like turning up the dimmer switch and all of a sudden we see <laughs> the state of the room and it's like, whoa, how did it get like that? <laughs> it's like, what's all this rubbish sitting over in the corner there? Why did, why did I put that out? And um, where did that come from? You know, and um, so, but the awareness 
we don't necessarily like what we see, but it gives us the opportunity mm -hmm. to start putting things in a little bit more order. You throw out the stuff you don't need <clears throat> and, uh, you know, <laughs> put things back, you know, where they ought to be. And so it kind of gives us the opportunity to do that. But it, it's, yeah. it's very revealing. It, it is like I think light is a very good metaphor for mindfulness, mm -hmm. purely turning on the lights, and then we can start to use our mm -hmm. insight and rationality and so on to sort of understand what we're seeing. Yeah. Makes so much. It makes so much sense. And you're just dropping, um, you know, the pennies are dropping all around me, Craig. Because I think it's 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 the, the way you're putting it, I think, is just um, you know, makes it simple, makes it relatable for people to understand. You know, turning up the dinner dimmer switch, um I just think about how often we are in the dark <laughs> mm. <laughs> and and how you know it can be scary in the dark and, and 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 you know when you turn that light on you just you just see it all don't you that's right that can be scary too <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a, it's um and and we there is a kind of a fear of the of the dark this sort of state of unawareness mm. creates a kind of fear and an anxiety about all sorts of things but with the awareness, as it as it increases, those kinds of things dissolve. Mm -hmm. We actually see what's going bump in the night, etc. We start to understand things better, yeah. and that has a very, very deeply consoling kind of uh, effect. Mm -hmm. um, and the surprising thing is that we are okay. Mm -hmm. Mind might constantly tell us that we're not, but underneath all that, we are actually okay, and we have little opportunities from time to time where we actually discover that that is the case. Mm. It's not wishful thinking; it is the case. But mm. that sort of sense of well-being tends to get totally covered and immersed and buried in amongst all this other dross and thinking and rumination and overthinking, etc., that the mind's so often caught in. Mm. Mm. So many strategies to bank away to. For when you're really busy thinking, oh, hang on, I'm in that phase where I'm not dealing with things, I really need to get that mindfulness back out. And it should be every day and interwoven. That's what we do at um, school, particularly different ways. I know your courses too, Craig, they're fantastic. I've done um, two of those. And so I don't know whether you wanted to share that as well. Are they still going, the Monash um, with the, is it Future Learn? Future Learn. Yeah. Yes, those, those courses are there on Future Learn. So there are two courses. The one to do first is Mindfulness for Wellbeing and Peak Performance. Yeah. And that'll teach everyone the, the basics of mindfulness and how to apply it in life. Um, and uh, the second one is Maintaining a Mindful Life. Mm -hmm. And that sort of takes a deeper dive into some of the more challenging and complex issues um, and uh and how to work with those. So start with the, the first course first, Mindfulness for Wellbeing and Peak Performance, and then uh, move on to the other course. And so, um, so those courses would be an excellent um, uh, introduction to mindfulness, and you can go at your own pace. Um, and, uh, yep. Yeah. I've done the first one. I haven't done the second one, so I might have no, to explore that too. one. Yeah. Oh. And they're really, really great. And the, the, I really like the connection with people around the globe as well. I thought mm. that was lovely. Mm. Well, so, Craig, I'm just wondering, besides your own work, do you have a book, um, TED Talk or podcast or words of wisdom that you might find useful for our listeners today? 
Oh, look, there is so, so much out there now that mm. wasn't there when certainly I started working in this sort of space. So there's, there's many, many good resources out there now. Mm. Um, you know, apps, for example, can be a bit hit and miss. Um, the Smiling Mind app is one of the highest ranked mindfulness apps in the world. That's and definitely. there are hundreds and hundreds of them. And, and Smiling Mind is right up in the top two or three mm. um, by independent um, uh, ranking. So that's uh, a wonderful resource to use as well. Um, but uh, look, there's, you, you don't, uh, <laughs> there's plenty out there. But um, uh, I think too, it depends on what you're interested in as well. Mm. You know, if you want something more with a psychological bent, the Richard Davidson's um, work is, is wonderful, a research but also uh, excellent um, practitioner of mindfulness and the Healthy Minds programs that they run um, through the University of Wisconsin are, are uh, tremendous as well. So uh, Richard Davidson, Amishi Jha's work, J-H-A. Um, so, and she's got a new book on <clears throat> attention, which is, um, which is really excellent. Um, so uh, that's well worth having a look at. Um, but if you want something with, you know, more philosophical, um, perhaps, uh, you know, spiritual sort of bent to it, then somebody like Matthew Ricardo mentioned before, um, a lot of great insights um, that he he shares as a wonderful teacher um, as well. So, but uh, look, uh, an abundance of riches out there these days. <laughs> we'll put those in the show notes for sure and probably put in a few of your um, books as well because you've published quite a few that are very, very um, helpful uh, for school teachers, particularly the one that I've got that's mindful learning, but you have many, many others. So we'll put those in the show notes too. Yeah. Um, uh, just on that, Craig, uh, if people wanted to get in contact with you or find out more about you, where um, where's the best place for them to, to go to find out more? Um, well, Monash um, University is home base, as it were, and so we're just um, uh, getting up and running the Monash Centre for Consciousness and Contemplative Studies. Oh, wow. So that's a new centre being founded at Monash. Wow. Um, I'm the Director of Education. Jakob, Professor Jakob Howie is the um, Director of Research there and the overall Director of the Centre. Um, so keep your eye on that and there's, um, I think there'll be lots of good things coming out of that uh, um, in the future as well. Mm, Monash Consciousness and Contemplative Studies. Mm. Lovely. Um, uh, well, I guess as we come to a close, Craig, um, we would love to ask you if, if, um, if you could share a useful um, self-care strategy that, that, that you're um, drawing on in your wellbeing toolkit at the moment uh, that, that we might be able to share with the listeners today. Yes, well, I suppose... Um, just we've been speaking about mindfulness and there's the meditation and so on. One of the ways of applying mindfulness in day-to-day -day life that I find a lifesaver again and again, because you were mentioning before the sort of fast-paced life and people very busy, so many things on the plate. And I know exactly how that feels. And I find it enormously helpful, even though through the course of a day, I might have a thousand things I need to get to. At any given moment, there's only one thing, one job, one moment at a time. 
So whatever's priority one, just give your attention to that. And the mind will want to go on with, oh, but I've got another 999 things to do. <laughs> They're not relevant now. The only mm -hmm. thing that's relevant now is this one job. Mm -hmm. It's like you, you feel like you're running a marathon and if you think, oh, I've got 42,000 steps to take. Mm -hmm. No, you only have one step to take. Mm -hmm. Just one step at a time. And if, you, and if we do that, run a marathon, as it were, one step at a time or move through our day, just one job, one moment at a time, then we can be surprised how achievable things are and without so much of the energy being weighted, wasted in this sort of nervous tension and apprehension that we're often carrying around. Mm -hmm. So just one job, one step, one moment at a time. Oh, I love that. I'm going to do that straight away. <laughs> oh. Thank you so much for joining us today. We, we, it's been such a pleasure to, to talk to you and I feel like we could just talk to you for, for hours on end, just, just picking your brain and learning, learning from you. It's, it's just been so enriching. So thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, Leanne and Lisa. It has been a pleasure. So thank you and we'll have to get you back to tell us a little bit more about your new centre, maybe in season two and find out what is happening over there. Yeah. Really looking forward to it. Thank you. Oh, I'm not. That was just. Can I just say? Okay, can we do a debrief on him straight away? Yes, can we? Yeah. I, I can't tell you how calm and relaxed I feel speaking with him mm. from the minute he started talking. What what an amazing human he is. And, and just found that he could he actually did that intuitively. Mm. That was a story that is going to resonate for me for such a long time. He knew and he was noticing about what was happening when he was a teenager, really, at yes. school and yeah. going through. And that was before people were talking really about mindfulness and mm. mind, um, mindfulness practice. And he was able to really notice who he was, what was happening in his body, but also in his mind and integrating that. And then that led him to wanting to be able to go into some sort of medicine where he wanted to help and support others mm. in being able to not fix, you know, problems as such with medicine and so forth, but really to teach them about what's happening inside their minds and their bodies. Like that was phenomenal. And it just, in a critic, FM. <laughs> Love it. The radio station <laughs> to turn down, turn it down and switch over to a different channel. I love that. But also, how good was that with the choice? Yes. You know, when you can hear the inner critic saying those things, but you don't have to give it anything. Mm. You can just let that go. It's just a voice. Yeah. And you can make a choice to either have the fear of the inner critic, mm. which then makes it an inactive, or you can shift that to a much better option of a learning opportunity and growth. And then you're leaning more towards yeah. what he says is of service. Um, and it I makes so much sense. Purpose. Yeah, it's your yeah. purpose. What are you aligning to? Yeah. Um, amazing. When he, when he talked to, uh, I was relating to, to what he was sharing around, you know, oh, I have a presentation to do and I hope I'm present tomorrow for that and, and oh, whilst he was doing the dishes yeah, yeah. <laughs> and therefore I'm not being present <laughs> yeah. but it's it's kind of funny isn't it when you think about it because um we can all relate to that I, yeah. I know I can I um you know 
I'm a work in progress. Uh, mm. But, um, you know, when you have that moment of realising, oh, actually, uh, I'm not being present at all here. <laughs> it's, it's- uh, that was a good wake-up call, wasn't it? Yeah. And that, uh, hence why he talked about that self um strategy at the end also about one thing at a time mm. and that's that real presence part and peace so I think that's something I'm going to practice but how is the um the noisy clutter so when t- we we're talking about that imposter syndrome that voice that inner inner critic mm. I love that because it is a noisy clutter yeah. it is just a waste of time sometimes although we need it at times when it's there to, for us to think about are we you know is it a risky decision that we're having but it's that noisy clutter that is often a waste of time. Very distracting. Correct. But then changing that to listening to your, oh, I love this, the quieter, deeper voice that's actually saying to you, but hang on a moment, this is important to you. This is aligned with your purpose. This is aligned with, you know, your inner service to something else. Um, mm. oh, I just loved that. It was such a great episode thinking about that whole uh you know going with my own thoughts when I notice you know oh do I look all right do I sound all right you know you know whatever whatever uh and then just getting present with why you know why you're here well I'm here to give a presentation I'm here to do a podcast I'm here to you know be a wife you know what whatever I'm there for um all of a sudden um it it just you know that busyness the the clarity of that busyness if that makes sense yeah is really highlighted isn't it yeah and it slows down that's what I noticed once you start noticing it slows down I really liked his Turning up the dimmer switch. Like, yeah. And the dimmer switch being to look at all those things that are are in your mind that are going through there. The more you see, the more you can actually start to notice and go, okay, what am I going to do with those thoughts? There's that choice. But what about the worry one? (laughs) (laughs) Worry pretending to be useful. Yeah, well, it's actually (laughs) really not useful at all. But maybe there's one piece of truth in there. But, you know, don't spend all that time with worry because we don't really love worry. No. Don't no. We need to friend worry in some sort of way. Worries, worries, uh, worries a lot of work actually. One <laughs> <laughs> of oh. those relationships that's, that is a lot of yeah, work. It's time to say goodbye. <laughs> we love you, worry sometimes, but not really. So we're just saying oh. goodbye. Oh, oh yeah. well, well yeah. how about we put all those things into the show notes for everybody and we hope that um, you've got a lot out of today because mm. I know we certainly did. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. <sighs> all right. <laughs> Bye for now. And thank you for listening to the Imperfect Us podcast. As always, we are extremely grateful for our executive producer, Brenton Ainsworth for helping us to put this episode together and the incredible music throughout the show. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with someone you care about and we would be grateful if you could rate this podcast on iTunes. If you know someone who has a great story to share about how to live with imposter thoughts, then please get in touch with us. To find out more about Leanne and Lisa, we welcome you to connect with us on LinkedIn and our socials. Bye for now. Bye for now.